Father, praise your holy name. Thank you, Father, for this day, this holy and special set-apart, separate day. Thank you, Father, for this day of dedication, cleansing of your temple, cleansing of us, of our lives, removal of Babylon, and victory against the son of perdition, the man of lawlessness, one they call Antichrist. Victory against Assad, evil be his name. Praise your name, Jesus, that you are our leader, the head of the church, and our victory is assured. Thank you, Father, for our brothers and sisters around the world that are gathering together at one time, in one spirit, in one accord, in unity. Hear your word, Father, for this fiesta. Praise your holy name. Thank you, Father, that technical difficulties have been worked out to where we can record the videos, be uploaded onto the website later so that deaf people around the world will be able to receive your word, the truth. Thank you, Father, for what you are doing, for what you've already done, and for what you are about to do. We ask you, Lord, to help each and every one of us to understand today's word and how to apply it into our lives. And even if we think that we know everything that we hear today, that we already know it, help us, Father, to find new ways to apply it into our lives. That your cleansing of us will go deeper than ever before. And that we will truly be your people, set apart purified and cleansed for you as a treasure for you, Father. For you are worthy of all of our praise. You are worthy of all of our obedience and worship. 
We are your people, your family, your children, your bride, and your kingdom upon this earth and beyond. Praise you, Lord, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name. May your people be edified, and may you may be glorified in all of this. Please have your way, Father. Speak through me. Please speak to your people. Open up our ears and our hearts. In the name of Jesus, so be it. Amen. Praise Jesus. Let's turn to the book of 1 Maccabees, 1 Maccabees, and that is in the book of history. If you have the five-volume edition, it would be volume two. If you have the three-volume edition, it would be in the Apotheca. 1 Maccabees, chapter four. One Maccabees, book of one Maccabees, chapter four. It is good to see all of our brothers and sisters gathered together. We got a full room this morning. And my wife is here right next to me next to the pulpit, and she is doing sign language for our, our deaf brothers and sisters. And we are recording this on video, which will be uploaded to the website later today, God willing. Then everybody and anybody that wants to can watch it as well. It is early in the morning here, around 7.10 or so, 7-something a.m. I know that for some of you, it's after only 5 o'clock in the morning, and others, maybe 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night. So all the way around the world in different time zones, uh, it is good to see that people are not allowing uh, the time of the day to interfere was a gathering together on the special holy day. This is the Fiesta of Tabernacles, the first day, and also the first day of 2019. And there I put 2018 in my notes, so I've got to get used to putting 2019 now. First day of 2019, and in God's calendar, that means it is the 25th day of the ninth month. 25th day of the ninth month. And that is why Christmas is on the, on the 25th of December is because Hanukkah is on the 25th of the ninth month, which falls in December. And today's topic is dedicate our temple and contents. Dedicate our temple and contents. 1 Maccabees 4, let's go down to verse 52. Verse 52. 1 Maccabees 4, verse 52. 
verse 52. Now, on the 25th day of the ninth month, and the footnote says, in G's calendar, which usually is in December. This is opposite of Christmas. Which is called, the scripture says, which is called, in the Assyrian Babylon calendar, it is called the month Paslu, or however you pronounce that Assyrian month, in the 148th year. They rose up early in the morning and offered sacrifice according to the law upon the new altar, new altar of burnt offerings, which they had made. Look at what time and what day the heathen had profaned it or halaled it. Even in that, even in that, even in that same day that the temple had been defiled is what it is referring back to. Time had passed. The context is that Anaakakis, a pretetes, the king of Syria, the president of Syria, thousands of years ago, was named Anaakakis, a pretetes. And he is spoken about in the book of Daniel, chapter 11. Daniel 11. And Daniel, the book of Daniel was written even before Anaakakis uh, walked in the flesh as the president of Syria of that time. Daniel was written before this president even was supposedly born. But Daniel foretold, actually God foretold, and Daniel only just wrote it down, about the reign of Anaakakis in Daniel 11. And that president of Syria invaded Israel, invaded Jerusalem, and came into the temple of God and defiled it by removing holy furniture and replacing it with pagan altars, pig's blood, and so forth perhaps also a statue. And it was on the 25th day of the ninth month that he did that. And then a certain amount of time passed. And eventually one year, perhaps three years later, however many years later, on the same date, of God's calendar or the Assyrian calendar, one, that it was cleansed, that, the, that God gave the victory against Anarchites. And the Jews came back into the temple and removed all of the pagan idolatry and cleansed and washed and sanctified and anointed the temple on this same date. So that's what it means that they rose up early in the morning, sacrificed upon the new altar at 
what time and what day that the heathen had profaned it. Even in that, that it was dedicated, dedicated, dedicated to the Lord, that they rededicated the temple unto Jesus. And it says here in verse 54, dedicated it with songs and citrons and hearts and cymbals. In other words, their worship music. The worship music was part of the worship service, as it should be. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise Jesus. Then all the people fell upon their faces, worshiping and praising the theos of heaven, who had given them the good success, in other words, the victory. Amen. Now notice that they did fall on their faces, and it says all of the people, not just the minister, not just the priests, but all the people. When it says fail, it doesn't mean that they fell backwards. That's not what it means. So all of the, the denomination of the Pentecostals, they should be careful not to twist or distort the Scripture. People love to twist and distort Scripture in order to try to make it fit their doctrine, their religion. So I am sure that there would be a Pentecostal person out there somewhere that would try to twist this to show that they fell backwards, but the word backwards is not in this scripture. Amen. And every time in the entire Bible that anyone fell backwards, they were cursed by God. And that is why they were falling backwards. We should never, ever, ever fall backwards, people. Amen. We are people that go forward, not backwards. These people fail upon their face, not upon the back of their head, but upon their face. That means they were face forward. They got down on their hands and knees in worship during the worship service. And we should do that. That doesn't mean you have to be on your hands and knees during the entire service, but at some point during the worship service, if you feel led to get down on your hands and knees, or if that is what is occurring in the congregation, then you should follow suit with how God is leading you or with the unity of the congregation. Amen. I do agree, and the Bible agrees with the Pentecostals, that we should have worship music, that we should get emotional, that we should feel the presence of the Lord, that we should not quench the Spirit, Amen. And allow the free flow. We should allow the free flow of God's presence. That we should humble ourselves and be able and willing to 
get down on our hands and knees, knees and worship to God. Verse 56, and so they kept the dedication of the altar eight days and offered burnt offerings with gladness and sacrificed the sacrifice of deliverance and praise. They decked it, meaning they decorated it. Also, the forefront of the temple with crowns of gold and with shields and the gates and the chambers they renewed and hanged doors upon them, doors that had been broken down they replaced. And thus was there a very great gladness. I would like for you to underline very great. Very great gladness. Not just a cheerful feeling, but a very great Emotion. It's okay to get emotional in your worship and in your praise. In fact, if you do not get emotional at all in your worship and praise, then I don't think that's true worship. Worship should be heartfelt. And it's okay to be emotional in your worship. Love is an emotion. A lot of people want to condemn the Pentecostals for getting emotional or getting excited. And I understand that there are some Pentecostal groups that go overboard or extreme. But you should be careful about judging something or judge, judging somebody of which that you really don't know anything about. Amen. If you, have, if you yourself have never been in a Pentecostal church and never been involved in that and never experienced that yourself, then you should be extra careful about judging or condemning something that you yourself have no idea about have never experienced. Amen. But we should have a very great gladness among the people, it says, for that the reproach or the shame of the heathen was put away. What had been done was removed. The defilement was removed. Amen. Notice throughout here, throughout these scriptures, about the dedication, rededicating that temple, bringing it back to God, removing it, removing it from the presence of evil, and bringing it back to the presence of holiness, or the state of holiness, the condition of holiness, and back to the Father. Amen. Let's go over to the book of 2 Maccabees. 2 Maccabees chapter 2.
book of 2 Maccabees, chapter 2. Maccabees chapter 2, and starting in verse 1, and God willing, we might go down through verse 19. 2 Maccabees 2, verse 1. It is found in the records that Jeremiah, the prophet, commanded them that were carried away to take of the fire as it had been signified. And how that the prophet, having given them the law, charged them not to forget the commandments of the Lord, and that they should not err in their minds when they see the images of silver and gold with their ordinance. And with other such speeches exhorted he them that the law should not depart from their hearts. It is also contained in the same writing that the prophet, talking about Jeremiah's, being warned of Theos, commanded the tabernacle and the ark to go with him. And he went forth into the mountain where Moses climbed up, the same mountain, Mount Sinai, and saw the heritage of Theos. Jeremiah saw God, just as Moses had, and even in the same place. Verse 5, and when Jeremiah went there, he found a hollow cave, wherein he laid the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, and the Ark and the altar of incense, and so sealed the door. And some of those that followed him came to mark the way, but they could not find it, which when Jeremiah perceived, or knew, he blamed them, saying, as for that place, it shall be unknown until the time that Theos gathered his people again together and received them unto mercy. In other words, that no one will ever find the Ark of the Covenant until Jesus comes. Until Jesus comes to gather his people together, that would be on the Day of Atonement, at the end of the great tribulation. So do not believe any of the videos and websites and books and so and, and so forth. Do not believe any of those people that claim that the Ark of the Covenant has been found in Ethiopia or in Turkey or here or there. No, it will not be found until Jesus comes. This is scripture. Amen. Verse 8, Then shall the Lord show them these things, and the glory of the Lord shall appear, and the cloud also, as it was shown under Moses. And as when Solomon desired that the place might be honorably sanctified. There's a connection here with the coming of the Lord, the gathering of the saints to the Lord, and Solomon and Moses and Jeremiah and the Ark of the Covenant. This is yet one more proof 
that the saints will be gathered unto Jesus on the Day of Atonement. Because the Day of Atonement is the day that the Ark of the Covenant is seen. Amen. Praise the Lord. I did not know this until right now, this moment, when Jesus revealed it and showed it to me, that this scripture is another confirmation of that. Amen. Jesus, right in front of your eyes, right in front of your ears, just gave you and me, all of us in one spirit, in one accord, in one body, and in one mind, the same revelation all at the same time. And you are witnesses this day, amen, of the voice of God and the spirit and the working of God. I feel his presence so strong right now. Amen. Praise Jesus. But this is another confirmation of the timing of the catching up of the saints, the appearance of the Lord, our gathering together unto him. That is the day that the Ark of the Covenant will be seen, which occurs only on the Day of Atonement. Amen. So excuse me a minute while I write this down. <laughs> Praise the Lord. i got to add this on to that article about the dates, the five holy days. Add to the dates article. Another confirm of Day of Atonement. Praise Jesus. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And look at verse 9. And it was also declared that that he being wise offered the sacrifice of dedication. Notice the context of a connection with the fiesta of dedication, Hanukkah, with the revealing of the day of or the, the, the revealing of the Ark of the Covenant, Moses and Solomon and Jeremiah. The, the, the day of dedication, Hanukkah, did not begin with the Maccabees. Hanukkah did not begin with the Maccabees. But what occurred in the time of the Maccabees, Maccabees is some people's last name. There was a family of people called the Maccabees. And in their time, that the book, book of Maccabees talks about when those, when those people, when that family was alive, and when God was using them to cleanse the temple and to have the victory, the military victory against Assad and Achates, Apollos, evil be his names, his blasphemous names on the forehead of the beast, Revelation 13. God used this family to give the people victory against Assad. But the Maccabees kept Hanukkah, but they were not the first to keep Hanukkah. Moses kept it. Jeremiah kept it. Solomon kept it. Each generation has observed it, just like each generation has observed all the holy days. Amen. 
Annika was not new in that. So it says here that they offer the sacrifice of dedication of the finishing of the temple, verse 10. And as when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the sacrifices, even so prayed Solomon also, and the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings. And Moses said, because the sin offering was not to be eaten, it was consumed by fire. So Solomon kept those eight days. Solomon, thousands of years. I believe it was thousands, maybe hundreds, I don't know. But a long, long time, generations, generations before the Maccabees kept those eight days. The Bible says so right here. Amen. Verse 13. The same things also were reported in the writings and commentaries of Nehemiah, and how he found it, how he, founding a library, gathered together the acts of the kings and the prophets and of David and the epistles of the kings concerning the holy gifts. In like manner, also Judas, talking about Judas Maccabees, not Judas Iscariot, but Judas Maccabees, different, different, different lifetime. Judas Maccabees gathered together all those things that were lost by reason of the war that we had, and they remained with us. Those things remained with us when this was written. Wherefore, if you have need thereof, send some or someone to fetch, to gather, to get those things. Fetch them unto you. Whereas we then are about to celebrate the purification. Glory unto the Lord. We have written unto you, and you shall do well if you keep the same days. You shall do well if you keep the same days. Amen. Praise the Lord. We hope also that the Theos that delivered all his people and gave them all a heritage and the kingdom and the priesthood and the sanctuary. As he promised, anybody getting excited, I'm getting excited. As he promised in the law, will shortly have mercy upon us and gather us together out of every land under heaven into the holy place. Woo! Praise the Lord. You know what that holy place is? A marriage supper in heaven. Amen. Think about Matthew 24. When Jesus was talking about the abomination of desolation, he said there in Matthew 24, Jesus said, when you see basically the Antichrist, even though he didn't use the word Antichrist there, when you see standing in the holy place, flee to the mountains. The holy place is not the temple mount. The temple mount is not holy at all. No, it's not. Not at all. For it is only a place where the Romans and Antiochus built a wall. The Western Wall, where the Jews go up to the wall and pray 
at the wall, that is not part of the temple mount. Temple mount. I mean, that is not part of the temple. Because Jesus said, did he, did he, did he or did he not? Jesus said that not one stone would remain upon another. So how can they claim that the western wall is part of the temple? Or even part of the temple, uh, what would you call it, structure, outlines? It's not part of it at all. For not one stone should be left upon another. History, history documents that the Western Wall was built by Anaotokis and restored by the Romans. They are worshiping the wall of Anaotokis. And when Jesus comes, he's not coming to the Temple Mount, but rather he will come to the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. Jesus ain't coming to the Temple Mount when he comes, as far as the landing place. Amen. That should tell you something. Amen. Think about it. That should tell you something. The holy place is in heaven. Amen. And it says here, for he has delivered us out of great troubles and has purified the place. But what place is he purified? Now, of course, eventually he will purify the Temple Mount and all of the earth. But the purified place is talking about the holy place in heaven because Anaokakis, Assad, Apollos, will again defile the holy place in heaven. Remember that the devil waged war in heaven even before Adam and Eve in order to try to overthrow God. There was a war in heaven. The same thing will be attempted, tried in our lifetime, according to Revelation 12. Amen. So that holy place in heaven is going to be defiled in our day and in our time. The temple of God in heaven will be defiled. And it will have to be cleansed. It will have to be purified. That's what it's talking about there more than anything. And go down to verse 19. Now as concerning Judas Maccabees, or Maccabeus, and his brethren, his brothers and family, and the purification of the great temple and the dedication of the altar, and it continues on from there. Now let's go to chapter 10. Maccabees 10. Verse 1. Chapter 10, verse 1. Now, Maccabeus and his company, his army, his multitudes, the people that were with him, the Lord guiding them, they covered the temple and the city. But the altars, which the heathen or the pagans had built in the Wolfen Street and also the chapels, they pulled down. They pulled down those mosques. And having cleansed the temple, they made another altar 
and striking stones, they took fire out of them and offered a sacrifice after two years and set forth incense and a menorah and bread of visible purpose. Now, when that was done, they fell flat down on their faces, in other words, and besought the Lord that they might come no more into such troubles. But if they sinned any more against him, that he himself would chastise them with mercy, and that they might that they might not be delivered into the blasphemous and barbarous nations. Now upon the same day that the strangers had profaned the temple, on the very same day, but a different year, it was cleansed again, even the 25th day of the same month, which is in the Assyrian called Kashlu. And they kept the eight days with gladness, as in, just like in the Fiesta of Tabernacles, was also eight days, counting the last great day, remembering that not long before, not long before, they had held the fiesta of the tabernacles when, as they wandered in the mountains and caves like animals, beasts. So, you know, the Feast of Tabernacles was only a couple of months ago, and they were still in the woods and caves at that time. But now they was able to return to the city and to the church building, the temple. Verse 7, therefore, they, they bear branches and fair broths and palms also and sang songs unto him that had given them good success or victory in cleansing his place. They ordained also by a common statute, that means, that means law and decree, that every year those days should be kept of the whole nation of the Jews. Now, a lot of people say it's only for the Jews, and it kind of looks like it if you read that, kind of looks like it. But if you read the book of Romans, Paul said that if we, basically in different words, if we are saved, our heart is circumcised and we are Jews, Spiritually speaking, symbolically speaking, we are Jews if we are saved. If we are adopted into his tribe of Jesus, the Jews, then we are, and if we are his children and if he is our father, if he's a Jew, then we're a Jew. Amen. We're covered by Jewish blood. We have a Jewish father. We are Jewish children. It doesn't matter what color we are or where we was born. We are Jews spiritually through his bloodline. Okay? So even if somebody tries to say this is for Jews only, then you can say, I am a Jew. I'm covered by Jewish blood. My father's a Jew. And I'm a, I'm a, I'm a child of a Jew. Because I'm not in the flesh if the spirit dwells in me. Amen. I have a Jewish spirit in me. Amen. Praise the Lord. That does not mean we follow the religion of Judaism, which rejects Jesus and focuses on the law. And much of that law is done away with. The law of sacrifices and unclean animals is done away with. 
circumcision is done away with. We're not of the religion of Judaism, but we are adopted into his family, a heritage, a bloodline. Amen. Now let's go to the New Testament. The book of John. John 10, John chapter 10. Verse 22, John 10, verse 22. At that time, the fiesta dedication took place at Jerusalem. Then skip all those footnotes and go down to verse 23. It was winter, talking about in that hemisphere, that part of the earth in Jerusalem, it was winter. And Jesus is walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon, part of the temple. Now, Jesus was there in the temple on Hanukkah, the fiesta of dedication. If the Bible says something, it says it for a reason. It's not in vain. There's a reason that it is written. He was there. It was the holy day. What do you think he was doing there? Was he taking pictures? He was there because it was the holy day. There was a worship service. Amen? He was there. He kept Hanukkah. It doesn't have to say it. He kept Hanukkah. It doesn't have to say it in those words. He was there. It was a holy day. There was a worship service. Of course, he was there for the worship service. Come on. Amen? Easy, 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 easy to understand. Of course, he kept the holy day of Hanukkah. Absolutely. And let's go over to chapter 2. John 2 a few pages before, verse 13, John 2, book of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John chapter 2, verse 13. Talking about a different holy day before that, Passover. Passover in Judea was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, of course, to keep the holy day of Passover. Go down to verse 14, and he found in the temple, again, he went to the temple on the holy day. If he's in the temple on Passover, and he's on the t- in the temple at the fiesta of dedication, 
It's common sense. He was there forever holy day. Amen. And he found in the temple those who were selling ox, oxen, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. That word, that phrase, at their tables, need to be taken out. You see how it's slanted, those three words, at their tables. That means that it needs to be taken out. So you can just scratch through that, those three words. So he found the money changers seated. And he made a scourge or a whip of cords and drove them out of the temple. With the sheep and the ox he also drove out. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. Boy, he got angry. He got really, really, really angry. He overthrew the tables. I can see I can see chairs flying as well. Can't you can't you just see some chairs flying? And to those who were selling the doves, he said, "Take these things away. Stop making my father's house a place of business." His disciples remembered that it was written in the scripture in the Old Testament: "Zeal or passion for your house will consume me." Amen. Talking about himself. Verse 18, the Jews then said to him, What sign do you show us as your authority for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it took 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it up in just three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. He was not talking about the physical house of stone, church building, but rather he was talking about his own body. You're going to destroy this body. But in three days, I will raise it. Notice he said he's going to raise his own body. Not that somebody else was going to raise it. Not that another person in heaven or another God in heaven or anything else was going to raise it. That he was going to raise his own body, which proves that he is God. Can any human raise his own body from the dead? Can any prophet raise his own body from the dead? Of course not. Only God can do that. There is so many scriptures that prove he is God. It is so extremely overwhelming. It's all over the place, all throughout scripture, that proves that he is God. I don't see how anybody could read any of the Bible, and not accept that Jesus is God. It is a very dark, wicked spirit that causes 
people to reject Jesus as God. Very wicked, very wicked, very wicked spirit that causes people not to believe Jesus is God. A powerful demon is responsible for that. Amen. It is clear in Scripture, amen? So, we see here that Jesus taught, not only Paul, but Jesus taught that the human body is a temple. Jesus' body, he called his body a temple. Amen. Let's look at what Paul said. We know Paul said the same thing, that our fleshly body is a temple of God, meaning God dwells in our body. Let's go to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 6. One Corinthians six. One Corinthians chapter six, verse thirteen. <clears throat> One Corinthians six, verse thirteen. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food. But feels would do away with both of them. In other words, fleshly things, the body and the need for food. He would do away with these things, physical things. Yet the body is not for sin, but for the Lord. And the Lord is for the body. So think about that, that our body is for the Lord. It's his temple to dwell in, his vessel. And the Lord is for the body. The Lord is for the flesh, meaning that we need a Savior, and he created us, and we have a strong connection with him. Even even while we dwell in the flesh, we can have a strong connection and a strong unity with God. So many people, so many people, especially the Pentecostals, Believe that the human flesh body is a sin or sinful. And that simply is not true. Of course, there are many sinful things that you can do with the flesh. And we typically use words like carnal and fleshly to describe sinful activity. Of course, you can sin with the flesh, of course. I mean, you're not supposed to, but we know that's how it happens many times. But the body itself is not dirty, 
nasty, filthy, spiritually. Spiritually, the body is not filthy, nasty, horrible, or sinful. It's not. But what you do with that body or what you do with your mind, either one, what you do with your mind, what you do with your words, what you do with your actions, what you do with anything can be sinful. It is your action, not the flesh itself. It is not the temple itself that was sinful, but it was how the Jews wrongfully put too much emphasis on those stones, on that building, as as many churches today do, as the Catholic Church does, as the Baptist Church does, as many as the Lutheran Church does, as the Orthodox Church does, they put too much emphasis on the building. Amen. And as many women and many men put too much emphasis on your physical body. Our focus should be primarily upon spiritual things not fleshly things. Amen. And it says here in verse 14, Now Theos has not only raised the Lord, but also will also raise us up through his power. Now notice here that God, Theos, raised the Lord Jesus. Now Jesus said he would raise himself. That's what he said. Amen. And here it says God raised him. Same thing. Same thing. This, this should not be twisted, distorted, to try to say that there's two spirits or three spirits or two heads or three heads. There's nothing in it that says that or even hints at that. The only thing it hints at is that they are the same. He raised it. Theos raised it. They are the same. Jesus is God. If you compare those two scriptures, again, verse after verse after verse throughout the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, so many verses proves that Jesus is God. It cannot be denied. And verse 15, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? I, I, well, I thought my chest was sinful. I thought my feet were sinful. I thought my body parts were sinful. That's what the Pentecostal taught me. That's what the Pentecostal church teaches. That's what the Baptist church teaches. Well, a lot of churches and religions and the Muslims teach that your body is a sin, but here it says that your body is part of Christ. Your legs are part of Christ. Your chest is part of Christ. All of your body parts are part of Christ. The body is for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. 
People, people need to grow up. Mature. Get some maturity about us. Amen. I know that I am skating on thin ice with some of you. But that's okay. It is what it is. It says here, shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. So in other words, do not be with a prostitute. It is forbidden. For your body is holy, is what this is teaching. Ain't that what it's teaching? If your body is a temple of God, your body is holy. Opposite of dirty. Opposite of sinful. God created your body. Adam and Eve was naked in paradise. Without sin and without shame. Until Adam and Eve took it upon themselves to decide right and wrong. With their own eyes their own way of thinking. Your body is holy. So that's why, among other reasons, you don't, you, you're not supposed to be with a prostitute. Verse 16, or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says, quote, the two should become one flesh. Meaning, that when you have sex with someone, you marry them. This is exactly what it's teaching. Amen? The two should become one flesh. Isn't that quote talking about marriage? And yet, it's also talking about a man laying with a prostitute or a woman laying with a prostitute. A person laying with a prostitute, they are marrying that person. According to the Bible, marriage is not when you go to a judge or a courthouse, or somebody signs a piece of paper, that's not marriage. That is not marriage in the eyes of God. That's just paper. That's just stone. That's just wood. That's just things that one of these days will be burnt in the fire. Marriage in the eyes of God is when you have sex with someone. And that is why that you should never have sex with anyone until you find the person that you love. Truly, truly, truly love. And they are in unity with you, and they are in unity with Jesus. Amen. Because the very moment that you have sex with them, they are your wife or husband. Even in the case of rape, even in the case of prostitution, read the Bible. It's there. It's there. It even talks about rape being marriage in more than one place in the Bible. Read the Bible. You have sex with that person, you are married to that person. Unless God says that you're not really married to that person because they are already married to someone else. Verse 17 
for the one who joins himself to the Lord or marries the Lord is one spirit with him. Amen. It's talking about marriage. That's the context. And we're one spirit with him. Now, but this marriage with the Lord does not require any physical sex, of course, no. But we still marry the Lord in our spirits, in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, what we dedicate ourselves to. When you marry someone, you are dedicating into a contract to be with that person. And you're dedicating part of your life to them, and they're dedicating their life to you, and you become one flesh and one mind and one spirit. It's not about how can two people be one flesh? Ain't that impossible as far as physically speaking? So then, isn't that really talking about spiritually speaking? Two should become one flesh. But it, it doesn't say two should become one spirit. It says two should become one flesh. But isn't that impossible? Not when you come to realize that the spirit and flesh is one. If you are part of the body of Christ. Know you're not that you're members of your body is Christ, that you are the body of Christ, that you are the body of Christ, both physically and spiritually speaking. That's everything that we've been reading here. It says so. These are things that are hard to comprehend if you think too physically thinking too carnally thinking, too simply thinking. You've got to be more spiritually minded, do more prayer, more worship, more obedience, more reading of the Bible, and ask for spiritual gifts. Every one of you should ask God to be spiritually empowered. Empower me, Lord. Please give me spiritual gifts. Seek, and you shall find. Ask, and you shall receive. Ask. And if he doesn't give it to you today, ask again tomorrow. If he doesn't give it to you this year, ask again next year. Continually, continually, continually. Go before the judge and ask. And you shall receive if it is his will. Amen. If it is good for you, he'll give it to you. Verse 18, run from sin. Run from sin. Run, 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 run. Run, Forrest, run. Run from sin. Every sin that a man commits is from outside the body. It's not your body necessarily, but outside the body. But the sinful person sins against his own body. Amen. Because your body is holy. So when you sin, you're sinning against your holy temple. 
That's why smoking cigarettes, if it is a habit, if you're smoking cigarettes every day, you're killing and defiling that holy body, that holy temple. I would not say that it is a sin to smoke only just one cigarette a month for one cigarette a year. I would not say that's a sin. For it's not what you put in the mouth that defiles the body, but what comes out of the mouth, Jesus said. Amen. You have to have the proper balance of doctrine, of thinking, of teaching, of declaration of what is wrong, what is, what is right, what is wrong. The proper balance. Don't go to the extremity in either direction. Don't be overly legalistic and don't be over-liberal. Amen. I would not say that just one puff or one cigarette is a sin, but I would say that if you are smoking every day, then you are destroying your holy temple and polluting your holy temple. Amen. I would not say that drinking a cup of wine with dinner or a beer with dinner or just a beer by itself, or wine by itself. I would not say that that is a sin. But if you are drinking from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed, then that can be a sin. If you are alcoholic and it has gained control over you, and you're wasting your money, you're blowing your money, instead of, instead of taking care of your family, of course, that would be a sin. Moderation in all things, the Bible teaches. Amen. But if you live in a state or nation that forbids marijuana, then it is a sin just to smoke only just one tote of marijuana. If the law says it is against the law to smoke marijuana or to have marijuana, and the Bible says you must obey the law even when the law is wicked, even when the king, the president is wicked. Even if you disagree with that law, you have to obey the laws of man even. According to the Bible, according to the book of Romans, and I believe maybe even in Peter, but if you live in a state where you can smoke marijuana, then I would say that it's not necessarily always a sin to smoke just one tote, just one puff. I would not necessarily say that it's always a sin. There are exceptions. It might be you have a sick stomach. You might want to just take a little bit of that if it's not against the law in your area. But, to smoke it every day as a habit where it has become an addiction or where it's affecting your health or affecting your memory or affecting your finances or getting you into arguments or fights or troubles or tribulations with people unnecessarily, affecting your job or affecting this or affecting that, then yes, it's a sin. And if you, if you smoke very much at all, of cigarettes or marijuana, either one, it is going to adversely affect you. 
There's a lot of people that smoke pot every day for a sick stomach or for cancer or for whatever, and it might help them with that particular specific condition, but at the same time, it's still killing them, ruining their memory, giving them heart attacks and strokes. Marijuana does that to you. It has been proven over and over and over that marijuana does increase strokes, heart attack, mental illness, and other health problems, increases arguments and fights and car wrecks. It has been proven over and over that marijuana causes all of this. So I do caution people. I do caution people on these things. It might be lawful for you, but it doesn't mean it's probable. Verse 12, verse 12, the majority of things are lawful for me, but not all things are probable. Be careful what you do. Be careful what you do. Think it out. Now it says here, verse 19, Verse 19, or do you not know that the body is a temple of the Holy Ghost who is in you, whom you have from Theos, and that you are not your own? You're not your own. So all these people that says all the time, these sinners will constantly say, it's my life, my body, it's my stomach, it's my lungs, I do what I want to do. My life, leave me alone. Don't judge me. Don't condemn me. I'll do what I want to do. It's my life. I'm not hurting anyone. Well, the truth is, it's not your life, and it's not your body. It belongs to the Lord. There is a God. There is a judge. There is a king, and there will be a judgment day. Amen. So be careful what you do. Verse 20, for you have been bought with a price, talking about with the blood of Jesus. Therefore, glorify Theus, glorify God in your body. Amen. Glorify God in your flesh. How can you do that if the flesh is a sin? It's not a sin, it's holy. Amen. Glorify God in your flesh. Not just in prayer, not just in spiritual warfare, not just in spiritual worship, but with your flesh glorify God. Too many people think that we have to do everything only spiritually and never physically. Too many people rely on God to do everything for them. If you want a job, are you going to only stay home and just pray for the job but not go out and look for one? No, you've got to go out and look for one. You've got to go out and put applications to get a job. You can't just stay home and pray for it. That would be pretty ridiculous to just only pray for it and not go actually look for one, right? But yet people are being, are being that ridiculous when they think that we should never vote, that voting is useless, that we should not sign petitions, 
that we should not protest in the streets, that we should not do any of these things and other things because that's too fleshly. That's too carnal. That's the government of the world, not the government of God. The truth is that as long as we are in this flesh, we are subject to the law of man, to the government of man, to the presidents and prime ministers and kings. We have to obey these laws. And God does not require us or expect us, nor does he want us to ignore the physical needs. Amen. We should not ignore the physical needs of the body. We should not ignore the physical needs of our community, our families, our friends, our co-workers, society as a whole. Even the church itself is affected by man's government. If we do not vote, if we do not get involved, if we do not protest in the streets, if we do not sign petitions, if we do not support the best political party, even though it may still be corrupted, but if we do not support the best, the best political party, then we will just allow the enemy to take our communities. We will just allow the most wicked party to gain control of the government and our neighborhoods and our families and our schools and even our churches. It's okay to get involved in life. It's okay to get involved in the governance. Look at many men of God who have gotten involved in the governance of men. David was a human king. He was a man of God. Give me some other examples, Brittany. You know a couple. Joseph in Egypt, he was a man of God but he was in the government of Egypt, and so forth. It's okay to get involved and make a difference in your community. And you might think it's hopeless. I used to think that way. I used to tell people, don't vote, it's rigged. Then I learned different. We can make a difference, and we should at least try. Amen. Now let's look at the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. It's okay to put the spiritual and the physical together. They should work together. 2 Corinthians 6. As you turn there, Continuing the theme of unity between the spirit and the flesh, your feet cannot move without the spirit in you. Amen. And people need to start putting feet into action. Amen. Instead of just pray, 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 
you should pray, 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 and then get up and do something about it. Amen. Instead of just praying for the schools and the laws, get up and vote. Get up and protest. Get up and block the streets at the abortion clinic. We should be blocking the abortion clinic entrance. We should be blocking the entrance to the, to the mosque and the abortion clinics. The reason that the mosque and the abortion clinics and the gay clubs and all those evil things exist is because too many people think that you should only pray but never, never take action, never do nothing in the flesh. Too many people are thinking too carnal. They think they're thinking spiritually, but really they're thinking carnally. Amen. Cut legs to the spirit, to the soul. Connect the two. Without one, the other one ain't going to do nothing. Amen. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unfaithfulness. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what communion has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Baal? Or what portion faithfulness with unfaithfulness? Or what agreement has the temple of Theos, your body, <clears throat> with idols? For we are the temple of the living Theos, just as Theos said, quote, I would dwell in them and walk among them, meaning your body actually walking around on earth, God working through you, not only while you're on your hands and knees, but while you're actually walking in your daily life. God actually doing something. God actually out there in your body protesting and doing things and putting action to your feet, action to your prayers. I walk in them and among them, and I will be their theos, and they will be my people. Amen. Going back to verse 14, do not be unequally yoked. Together with the unbelievers, the unfaithful, the unfaithfulness, and idols. What does that mean? This is a verse that has a lot of different meanings. It is full. Amen. And one of the meaning, meanings, one of the meanings is, is that we should not marry unbelievers. We should not marry people that are not in unity with Christ. We should not marry people that we don't have a lot in common with. And therefore, you should not have sex with people that you don't have a lot in common with. You should not have sex with people that don't believe in Jesus as God. You should not have sex with people who don't keep the seventh day and the holy days. You should not have sex with people who keep Christmas and Easter. Amen. You need a husband or wife if you are ever going to get married. You need a husband or wife that will be in agreement with you so that you can hold hands together in agreement. And that your marriage will be successful and not end in divorce, in arguments and fights. Amen. Do not be unequal. Be yoked, bound, tied together, in bondage with somebody 
who is not in unity with you and the body of Christ. Unequal, unequal. Are all people equal? Are all people equal? No, absolutely not. Because some people are children of the devil, spiritually speaking. And we are not equal with the followers of the devil. We are not equal with sinners. For we, the Bible says, we are a prized possession of God. We are holy unto the Lord. Even our bodies are holy. Not only our hearts, our minds, our spirit, our soul, and our works and our actions, but also even, even my hands, even your hands, even your feet, even your toes, even the hair on your body is holy unto the Lord. That's how special you are. Some people accuse us of thinking that we are more holy than they are. Well, we are. Because we serve the living God, and they don't. We are holy unto the Lord. We are a prized possession. We are the apple of his eye. And those people, to be quite frank, to be quite honest with you, some of those other people In the eyes of God, some people are dogs. Some people are swine, pigs. Some people are poisonous snakes. That does not mean that we don't love them. We do love them because we pray for their salvation. We pray for their deliverance. We pray that they will be delivered from the devil. We do love and pray for them that they will get saved. We even try to witness to them some. But when they resist the holy word of God, then we resist them. If they tread underfoot, throw away the holy word of God fed to them, and they vomit it back up, and they spit it back up, they tread it underfoot, they reject your word that has come from God, and they are cursed, and they have cursed themselves. We did love them enough to witness to them, and we will continue to pray for them, and we hope to see them in the kingdom as clean, purified, dedicated saints of God. That is our our desire, our will, and God's will. But until they repent, some people are poisonous snakes. The people that stay in the wine name doctrine cults, after they have heard the truth, seen the website, seen the evidence, seen the proof, they've been presented with it. You presented it or I presented it, or she presented it, or he presented it, or they came across it on the Internet. They saw the proof, but they rejected it. Then they are swine. They are pigs. They are poisonous snakes. This is Bible. You can say all you want to, 
but I am not being loving. I'm being too hateful. I'm being too critical. I'm being too judgmental or too condemning. You can say that all you want to, but the Bible is still true, that that is what they are in the eyes of God until they repent. And we were all were. We all were. We all were filthy, dirty, defiled, nasty, spiritually speaking, until we got cleansed, until we got purified, until we dedicated ourselves to holy living. Amen. We should not be unequally yoked with those people. Together with unfaithfulness, or what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness, or what communion? When we talk about communion, then now we're talking not only about husband and wife, boyfriend and girlfriend and friends, but also so-called brethren, church people, people that say they are our brothers or our sisters, people that try to sneak their way into the fellowship, or those that will come and attend with us, or the people that knock on your door trying to witness to you, and so forth, the local churches in your community. Communion. What communion has light with darkness? We should not be taking Passover with the Wainane people. Amen. Be very, 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 very careful who you take communion with. Do not take communion with somebody that rejects Jesus' holy name. Do not take communion with darkness. Do not take communion with the Baptist Church, the Pentecostal, the Catholic, the Lutheran, the Jehovah Witnesses, or the White Names Cults. Only take communion only with baptized people who accept Jesus' name, keep the commandments, keep the service day, keep the holy days, and actually are attending in the body of Christ. People who are truly, truly dedicated to God, truly saved, baptized, saved, and you can see that they are walking for the Lord in the truth. Only with those people shall we take communion with as far as Passover communion and as far as attending worship services with them. Do not be going to these Sunday churches. Do not be going there. Because I'm sure you don't want to hear a bunch of lies. So why would you go there? Amen. Go down to verse 17. Verse 17, therefore, come out from their midst, from their gathering. And be separate. Come out from them. Revelation 18, talking about Babylon, says, Come out from her, my people, so that you would not partake or participate in her sins and in her judgments, basically. Come out. Come out. Stop keeping a foot in the door. Too many people, some of you, are trying to keep the door open, a crack of the door still open to the white name people. I know it's so. Some of you are continuing to keep uh, an inch of the door open to the Jehovah Witnesses 
or some other group that rejects Jesus as God. Some of you are still reading some websites that have the Y names or reject Jesus as God. And you need to come out because the Bible says a little leavening leavens the whole lump. That means just a little bit of sin. One article, one teaching, one doctrine of that group is enough to corrupt you. If you give the devil one inch, he will take a million miles. Amen. Come out from those people and be totally separate, totally cleansed. Can you wash a glass? Are you going to wash only half the glass or half a plate or half a table? No, you wash the whole thing. Come out all the way. Leave Babylon. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, saith the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. If you want to be welcomed into the kingdom, into the holy place, then you are not allowed to touch. Not even touch. Not even touch. You can't even touch it. Don't touch. You can't even touch it. What is unclean? So, throw away those books. Throw away those magazines. Throw away those videos. Throw away, delete those websites. Be clean. Be clean all the way. All the way. Cleanse the temple. Cleanse the temple. Cleanse your house. Throw those things away. Cleanse your house. Cleanse your temple. Cleanse your heart, your mind, your soul, your body. And I will welcome you. Verse 18, I will be a father to you, and you should be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Amen. Now notice a context here of coming out, of being separate. Be separate. The word sanctified means be separate, to be set apart, to be different and set apart from the world. We are to come out of the world, come out of Babylon, come out of all the false doctrines, every one of them. We've got to come into the unity of the faith and of doctrine. We've got to come into agreement with what the truth really is. All of us, every one of us. None of us have a right to our own opinions. I don't like it when people ask me in email or telephone or text message or whatever or in person. I don't like it when people ask me, what is your opinion of this? What is your opinion of that? I have no right to my opinion. And you have no right to your opinion. We are simply to believe the truth. That is the only option. Believe the truth or believe a lie one way or the other. There's no room for personal opinions on spiritual issues. Amen. So don't ask me my opinion, but rather ask me what the Bible says or what God says or what the truth is. Don't ask me my opinion. 
This ain't about me and my personal opinions. This is about what the Bible says, what God says. Amen. Then look at the next verse in the next chapter, because originally there was no divisions between chapters. You didn't have chapter numbers originally. So originally, you would just keep reading into the next verse, which says in 2 Corinthians 7, 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1, therefore, because of everything you just read, without any chapter number divisions, therefore, having these promises, Beloved, let us cleanse or let us purify ourselves from all defilement. That's what they did when they cleansed the temple on this date thousands of years ago. They cleansed, they purified all the defilement. They took out the trash. The defilement of flesh and spirit perfecting holiness in the fear of the others. Perfecting holiness. One of the things that the Pentecostals do have correctly is the teaching that we must live holy. Amen. We must live holy. The once saved, always saved doctrine is a lie. We must live holy. Amen. And we are to perfect that holiness. Perfecting holiness. Notice how it is underlined because I want it to stress how important that is. Perfecting holiness. It's more than just being holy. It's getting it perfect. It is getting it perfect. Striving. Striving for perfection. So many people want to hold on to that, that saying that phrase, I'm not perfect. No one is. No one can be. And that's a lie. It's a lie. It is a lie of the devil. Because if it was impossible, if it was truly impossible to become spiritually perfect, if that was impossible, then the Bible would not teach it. But the Bible does teach it. We have to perfect holiness. That means get it all right, every bit of it. Come into agreement in all of doctrine. Every, 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 every single doctrine. Getting it all in unity together as one body, one spirit, one faith, one baptism, one Lord, one church, one body of Christ. Not being divided in doctrine, belief. Amen. Perfecting holiness. Living holy, 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 holy unto the Lord Almighty. Amen. In the fear of Theos, that's what it takes. Fear of Theos. You cannot do this without fear. You cannot do this without fear. The lack of fear of God is what allowed Foolish Michael, I will call him Foolish Michael, that is his nickname, that came here for six months or so, pretended to be my brother, pretended to be your brother. He is an example to all of us now. He is an example to all of us of the wickedness of the devil and his workers and his children. No fear of the Lord that after being here 
under my wings for several months that he departed from this faith, departed from the baptism, departed from the one spirit and one congregation, one Lord and one faith, and went and worshipped, and the last that I knew of, he was still worshipping a human, a human man, worshipping a human man as God. How much more foolish can you get? He deserves the nickname. I'm not being over-judgmental or over-condemning because he deserves every bit of this judgment. He deserves every bit of this condemnation. Amen. Paul called out names. Paul did call out names. And Jesus did insult people. Absolutely. Over and over and over and over and over, Jesus insulted people. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. And Paul insulted people. Read the Bible. No fear of God. No fear of God. Amen. You cannot perfect holiness without the fear of God. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. People need to realize God can strike you down at any time. Amen. Let's go to the book of Matthew, Matthew 23. Matthew chapter Verse 25, Matthew 23, verse 25, chapter 23, verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. This is the words of Jesus. This is Jesus insulting people. This is Jesus being condemning and judgmental. This is Jesus putting people down. This is Jesus pointing out sin and condemning and judging people. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish so that the outside of it may, may become clean also. In other words, he was saying, you have an outward appearance of holiness. You like to pretend you're holy by the way you dress because you have extra long robes, because you wear uh, extra long uh, shirt sleeves, or extra long, or you put on extra clothing. You're trying to hide your toes. You're trying to hide your legs. You're trying to hide your thighs. You're trying to hide your chest as if it is dirty and filthy and wrong or sinful. But on the inside, you're full of wickedness. This is what Jesus was teaching. Verse 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones 
and all uncleanness. In other words, he's basically saying some people like to decorate a grave, make it beautiful. But inside that grave is still just a dead man, ugly bones and ashes. Why decorate a grave? It's stupid. It's foolish. Those people cannot see those flyers. Those people cannot hear you talk to them. It is in vain and stupid and foolish. I'm just telling you the truth. Just telling you the truth. That's all I'm doing. That's all I'm doing. The words might sound very judgmental and condemning, but so did the words of Jesus. I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you. It is ridiculous. It is foolish to even go to the graveyard every year on the same day, redecorate it, redecorate it, redecorate it, redecorate it. Oh, come on now. That money can be better spent on living people. Stop wasting your money on the dead. Amen? But Jesus' point main point, primary point was don't just clean the outside. Don't just decorate the outside, but get the inside of your body clean. Get the inside of the the temple clean. Verse 28, so you, too, outwardly appear righteous to mankind, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Amen. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and adore, decorate the monuments of the righteous, and say, quote, if we had been living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partners with them in shedding the blood of the prophets, unquote. But you testify against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up, then, the measure of the guilt of your fathers, you serpents, you snakes, you generations of poisonous snakes, you vipers. How, boy, he just insulted them over and over. Man, Jesus was very, very, very condemning, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Because these people deserved it. Because these people deserved every insult, every word of condemnation. They were very deserving of it. You servants, you generation of poisonous snakes, how will you escape the sentence of the lake of fire? Therefore, behold, I am sending you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you will murder and crucify. And some of them you will scourge with in the synagogue, in the church building, and persecute from city to city. So that you may, or so that upon you may fall the guilt, upon you may fall the guilt of all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of uh, Barachias, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Amen, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who murders the prophets and the stones those who are sent, and stones those who are sent to her. 
How often I have wanted to gather your children together, the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were, but you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to the desolate. For I say to you, from now on, on, you will not see me until you say, quote, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So what he's saying here is that these religious people, these legalistic Pharisees that had these long robes and extra clothing and layer upon layer upon layer of uh, clothing, layer upon layer of clothing, trying to look holy, inside they were spiritually dirty, and those are the same people that are going to persecute you. These are the same people that will persecute you. These are the same people that will crucify the prophets. These are the same people that will murder the righteous. Amen. We should not be attending church with these people. We should not be friends with these people. Amen. Come out from among them. Do not even touch the unclean. Amen. These are religious people. They're going to church. They're even keeping the seventh day. They're even keeping the holy days. The scribes and the Pharisees, they did keep the holy days. And the seventh day, they kept Hanukkah. They kept parent. But yet they rejected Jesus. They did not believe that Jesus was God. And they are responsible for the blood of the saints. Now look at Matthew 5. Matthew 5. Do not follow the Jews. Do not follow the Jews. Okay? Do not follow the Jews. Judaism. Do not follow Hebrew roots. Do not follow a tribe of people just because of where they was born or who their daddy was or who was their ancestors. Do not follow people, a group of people, a religion, based upon the fact that at one time they were following God and God was speaking to them. Amen. Don't follow the Jews, but rather follow God. Amen. Follow God. Matthew 5, verse 48. Matthew 5, verse 48. Matthew 5, verse 48. Therefore, you are to be completely mature. King James, a lot of translations, says you are to be perfect. Alpha Omega Bible says you are to be completely mature. As your Heavenly Father is completely mature, talking about sinless. Sinless, a state of not sinning anymore. This is our goal. And again, when people say that nobody's perfect, well, that might be true for now. But when the great tribulation comes and people finally start getting down on their hands and knees, when people finally start fasting, when people finally start reading the Bible on a regular basis, when people finally 
can no longer watch any pornography, when people no longer will have a cell phone or a computer or a laptop because all those things will be taken away from them, when they, are, when they lose their job, when they lose some of their family, most of their family, and all of their friends, and they have nothing left, they have nothing left, they will finally seek God. They will finally seek God, and they will finally start putting God first, eventually, one of these days. And when that happens, then they will open up the door of possibility. The doer of possibility. Whereas before it was impossible for them to live perfect and sinless and mature because they had everything that they needed in the flesh. But once everything is taken away from you, your house, your job, your family, and your friends, and you have nothing left, then the door of possibility to live without sin, you will be able to enter in. Let's go to the book of 1 Peter, right over there, very close to the book of Revelation. 1 Peter chapter 1. One Peter one, verse thirteen. One Peter one, verse thirteen. One Peter one, verse thirteen. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Prepare your minds for action. That's much more than praying. And it's much more than just what you do with your mind. It's preparing your mind to actually do something. More than praying, but do something. Take action. Not just be a hearer of the word of God, but a doer of the word of God. Prepare your minds for action and keep sensible. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation that is the manifestation of Jesus Christ. We're going to change that word the manifestation. So you can go ahead and cross it out. And next to the sentence or at the end of the sentence, you can put manifestation. Because that's what it's talking about. It's talking about when Jesus will be seen uh, and manifested in front of your eyes. And that is what it's talking about. And verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust in your ignorance but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Who said that? God did. God said it. In the book of Leviticus, in the footnotes, it gives you where. God said, I am holy. You be holy. He's comparing himself with you. In the same way, God is holy, we can. We can. When Jesus came to earth as a human, in the human flesh, God in the flesh, he was tempted in every way as we are. He was tempted with adultery. 
He was tempted by beautiful women. He was tempted to steal. He was tempted, uh, tempted. He was tempted by the devil to commit murder, to steal, to lie, to cheat, to commit adultery, to break the seventh day. Jesus was tempted. But he did not sin. And it wasn't just because he was God. But it was because that he knew the law and kept the commandments. He put God first, the greater measure of himself that stayed in heaven. He submitted to the greater measure of himself that stayed in heaven when only part of him came through the body of Mary. He still submitted himself. He humbled himself to the greater measure that stayed in the entire universe in heaven. Amen. He's not telling you to do the impossible. He's not telling you to do the impossible. Be holy. And you shall be. You shall be holy. Be holy. It's a process. It's a process. But we'll get there. We'll get there. Amen. Let's go to. I'd like for you to write down your notes. We won't read it right now. Yeah, we read. Let's read it. 1 John. Let's go to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John 3. 1 John 3. 1 John. Right there next before the book, before the book of Revelation. 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. After services, I want you to read verses 1 through 10. But right now, we'll just read verse 9 and 10. Be right back. Let's go all the way up to verse 1. Verse 1. We'll read it together. Verse 1. See how great a love Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called the children of fields, the children of God. Now, I know most people say theos, not theos. But when I studied the agent languages, the agent Greek, the agent Hebrew, it's not theos, it's theos. I know everybody would tell me I'm wrong. I know that every college professor, every scholar, every Bible student, I know the whole world would tell me I'm wrong. And I don't care. I will not say the us, but I will say theos. It means the Alpha and the Omega. That's what it means. And that's why this Bible is called the Alpha and Omega. And the first part of the word 
the or the means alpha. And the last part of it is the O, which is the omega, the alpha and omega, the O. It's not the us, it's the O, the omega. The big O is pronounced with a long O, not the short O. It's the big O. He's the big O. He's not the little O. The us is an insult. It's not the us. He's the O. The O, the Alpha, the Omega. Now, we are his children. We are his children. And such we are, for this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Verse 2, beloved. Now, we are the children of Theos, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself. The fiesta of dedication is about purification. They purify they cleansed the temple. They dedicated the temple, but they could not dedicate it without first purifying it, cleansing it, taking out the trash, removing the pagan idols, removing the Christmas decorations, removing the Easter decorations, removing the Sunday decorations, removing all the, uh, the graven images, statues of idolatry. They purified the temple even as we must purify our temple. Let's not talk about washing hands. Let's not talk about wearing extra layers of clothes. But rather, being obedient to God, removing the pornography, removing the lies, not stealing, not committing adultery, not breaking the seventh day, keeping the holy days, not keeping Christmas and Easter and Sunday, not going to church with the pagans, and being very careful who our friends are. Be very careful about who you are going to choose to have sex with, who you are going to marry, and who's going to be your best friend and who you hang out with, and where you hang out. What kind of music you listen to, what you watch on TV, what, what kind of clothes you wear. Go for it. I mean, there's a lot to it. What books you read, what magazines, what videos, Everything, there's a lot to it. It is all-encompassing. Amen. And it says here that he that has his hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Be perfect as he is perfect. Be holy as he is perfect. Be pure as he is pure. So again, over and over and over, it teaches that it is possible if we stop making excuses. Verse 4, everyone who commits sin also commits transgression of the law or breaking of the law, for sin is transgression. Sin is breaking of the law. If there is any such thing as sin, which we know there is, then there is also law. You cannot have sin without law. It's impossible. So any time and every time 
that anyone says all law is done away with and we don't have to keep any of the law, we don't have to keep the holy days of the seventh day, all you've got to do is simply ask them, is there any such thing as sin today in our modern New Testament, New Covenant times? Of course, they would say, yes, of course there is sin. Is it possible to sin? Yes, it's possible to sin. What is sin? They're going to make all kinds of excuses what sin is. They make up their own opinion what sin is. Show them the scripture that sin is breaking the law. Then say to them, you just told me sin still exists. It is possible to sin in New Covenant times. It is possible to sin. Therefore, when you say that, you are acknowledging the existence of the law. If you say that there is still sin, then you are acknowledging that there is still law. It is so simple. It is simple. It is so simple. If there is sin, there is, there is also law, for sin is the breaking, the transgression of the law. Amen. So simple. Verse 5, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins. He came in the flesh in order to take away sins by his blood. And in him there is no sin. Verse 6, no one who abides in him, no one who dwells in him, sins. No one who sins, talking about as a lifestyle, has seen him or knows him. Now, I know him, you know him. We know God, he's our father. Of course we know our father, amen. And yet we sin. So how is this possible? What, 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 what does this mean? It, it's really talking about what kind of life you're living. It's not talking about one sin per year makes you lost. That's not what it means. Just like some people say one sip of wine or one sip of alcohol is a sin. That's ridiculous. One sip, one little tiny sip of alcohol is a sin. That is ridiculous. Oh, come on. Get real. So it's not saying that one sin per year makes you lost or one sin per month makes you lost. But what it's saying is if you are continually living a lifestyle of sin as a habitual, continual basis, as a way of life, sinning as a way of life, then you do not know him. That is what it means. You do not know him. Another verse says something like, if you say that you know him and do not keep his commandments or do not keep my commandments, however it says it, then you are a liar. Again, insulting people. You're a liar, and the truth is not in you. If you say you know him and do not keep his commandments, you are a liar, and the truth is not in you. 
again. If a person is living a lifestyle of going to church on Sunday and not the seventh day, they do not know him, and they have not seen him. But we, we who keep the seventh day and the holy days, we know him if we keep his commandments, if he dwells in us and we dwell in him. If this body belongs to him and my heart and my mind and my soul and my life belongs to him, and he dwells in me and he walks in me, he lives in me, he speaks to me, he talks to me, and you, then we are his body on this earth. Go therefore into the world, making disciples, baptizing, witnessing, evangelizing, because we are his body, we are his feet, we are his hands, we are the ones that now should do great miracles even greater than he did. The Bible says so. Amen. I get an amen. We should do even greater things than he did. Bible says that. It says that nothing, 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 nothing. It says nothing shall be impossible for you. We say nothing's impossible with God. We say nothing's impossible with God. But the Bible says nothing is impossible with you. If dwells in you, and you dwell in him, if you become the temple of God, if you become his body, his bride, his child, his person, his family, his congregation, his kingdom upon the earth, nothing shall be impossible to us. Take the power that he has given you, power to thread tread over serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall hurt you by any means. Lift up that serpent, Moses. Lift up that snake, you snake handling. <laughs> oh my God, I wouldn't do that. If God tells you do, then you better do it. God told Moses, lift up the serpent. Don't judge and condemn people of which you have never seen or experienced or been there or done that. Yes, we can judge. We should judge. Just do not judge hypocritically. And just do not judge in ignorance of not knowing what you're talking about or thinking about. Judge, yes, we have to judge. We must, we must judge, must. Because if you never judge, then you're going to end up dead today or tomorrow, this week. You're going to be dead if you don't never judge anyone. You have to judge who you allow to be in your car. You have to judge who to pay tithes to, who to listen to, what website to read. You have to judge people. If you don't, you end up dead. You're, you'll be a fool if you don't judge anyone. But do not judge hypocritically. Get your own life clean up and, and live what you preach and live what you say and live what you teach and, and, and walk the walk. Amen. Be true to yourself. Be true to God. Amen. And do not judge based on false religion and false doctrines. 
Don't judge me for drinking. I will drink. Don't judge me for taking my shirt off in public. I'm a man, not a woman. Don't judge me based upon legalistic Pharisee, Sadducee tradition of legalistic religion. But judge righteously. Judge righteously. The Bible says, don't you know that you're going to judge angels? And don't you know that you're going to judge the world? We are called to be judges. We are called to be judges and kings and priests and to reign with Christ on his throne if we will seize it, if we will grab and take hold of what is ours and take action in this earth and usher in the kingdom by force and take what is ours and enter the promised land and enter the wilderness even if we do have to fight with fists. Oh, I, I, oh, Pastor Tim, I, 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 I'm just going to stay on my knees and pray. Let God fight my battles for me. You're never going to get no words like that. He has called us to be his army. He has called us to be his army. And an army that will not fight is not worthy to be his army. The reason the world is full and overflowing of wickedness is because of so-called Christians that don't want to lift a finger to make a difference. Amen. We've got to take what is ours. Amen. Let's go down to the next book of the Bible, the book of 2 John. And over to 2 John, which is only one chapter long, page number 240. In your copy, it might be a page or two difference. In my copy, it's page 240. The book that is called 2 John. Go down to verse 7, the book of 2 John, verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who, not, who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Now that word Christ, sometimes translated as Messiah, means the one that, that is God who came in the flesh. That is what it means. Now, I know that Strong's Concordance says that it means the anointed. And I know that the same Greek word or Hebrew word is used for other people, actually because it means anointed, and, and you're anointed, and I'm anointed. And if you are anointed, then 
the Bible calls you Christ or Messiah because that's a word that means anointed. You are the body of Christ. You are anointed. But in the context of not just Christ, not just uh, you being anointed, not just me being anointed, but Jesus being anointed. In the context of Jesus the anointed, in the context, it is referring to that Jesus is the one that was ordained, anointed, appointed by the Father, which is the Holy Spirit, Holy Breath of God, to come into the body of Mary and out of the body of Mary and to grow up and walk upon the earth to die for our sins and to ascend back into heaven and then eventually come back to rescue us. Amen. He is the anointed to fulfill all that prophecy. That is the portion of God that accomplishes this. It is not a prophet or a man that accomplishes this. But it is God that accomplishes this. It is that portion of himself. It is his Holy Ghost, the one that died, bled for us, rose from the dead, but is still alive. Therefore, the word ghost, a person that died, but is alive, is different than spirit. So in the context of Jesus being the one that fulfilled this prophecy of being anointed and people not accepting this, it is talking about people who reject Jesus as God, that they are what the Bible calls antichrist. They are anti-Christ. They are anti-anointed. They are anti-that he is God. Now, the Jews and a lot of whining people and the Jehovah Witnesses and the Muslims, all of those Antichrist people who reject Jesus as God, they say that Jesus is anointed. They say that Jesus was a true man, man of God. They say that Jesus was a great prophet of the Lord, but not God, they say. So they don't reject that he was anointed. They, would, they only reject that he was God. Okay? So in the context of Jesus being, being anointed and people rejecting that and denying that and refusing that, it is much more than... Uh, Well, let's put it like this. It is rejecting that he is the portion of God that fulfilled this call. That is what they're rejecting. Amen. As coming in the flesh. Now, the Jews and the Muslims and the Wainan people, they say he came in the flesh. They say he came in the flesh. 
So what are they rejecting? They're rejecting him as God in the flesh, the anointed one in the flesh, the holy one in the flesh. The Bible calls God the the holy one over and over and over and over in the Old Testament. And in New Testament, it also calls us calls Jesus the holy one. So if you add all this up, it's talking about Jesus being God and different people saying he is not God. That is the conclusion of the matter. And if people say that he is not God, that is what the Bible calls Antichrist. Then look at what it says in verse 8. Watch yourselves. That means be careful that you do not lose what we have worked for but that you may receive a full reward. Verse 9. Anyone who goes too far and does not remain in the teaching of Christ, meaning two things. If they do not accept that he is God and or if they do not accept and remain in his doctrines, keeping the commandments and so forth, if they do not remain in his teachings, his doctrines, what the Bible says, what he says, or if they reject him as God, then it says here that they does not have Theo. They do not have God. In other words, they don't know him. They're not saved. It doesn't matter if they claim to be saved. It doesn't matter if they say that they know the truth or they keep the seventh day or the holy days, or even keeping the commandments, even if they do keep the commandments. If they reject that he is God in the flesh, then they are antichrist, and they do not know God. For the one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. Does that prove that there are two or three? No. No, it don't. The only thing it proves is that God did divide himself. Most of him stayed in heaven and throughout the universe. Only part of him came through Mary. He divided himself. 1 Corinthians 15 says that he shall become whole again. Read that. In 1 Corinthians 15, he shall become whole again. Meaning he divided himself. He put a portion of himself into Mary. He's not two different people. He's only went into two different sections. The section that is in your body and the section that is in heaven. But it's one body. The Bible says so. The Bible says it's one body, one spirit. The Bible says it's one spirit. The Bible never says two spirits or three spirits or four or, or a million spirits. If you believe in three spirits, three souls, three heads or anything like that, then you might as well believe in a million. There's no difference between three and a million. No difference. If you believe in three, you might as well believe in a million. We only have one spirit, one Lord, one body, one Christ, one faith, one baptism. That's it. But he proportioned himself, part of it, part of himself, part of himself into us. Amen. That's what it means by having both. The part that stayed in the heavenlies and the part that dwells in us. Now, verse 10, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, that Jesus is God and the true teachings of Jesus, do not receive him into your house. 
and do not give him a blessing of greeting or a greeting or blessing. In other words, you can't even allow them in your house. You can't even allow them in your door. So in the same way, you should not be allowing them into your mind, into your heart, into your ears, into your eyes by watching their videos and reading their websites. It's the same thing as opening the door to them. You're opening a door to the enemy, to the Antichrist. Antichrist people, 666 people. Amen. So many, so many people think that loving your enemy means that you got to let them in your home. And that's not what loving your enemy means. Loving your enemy means pray for them. And if they are hungry and you got food, you can give them food. If they're in need of clothes and won't clothes and you've got extra clothes, help them with clothes. That is blessing your enemy. If they're, if they're in a car wreck and you see the car wreck, stop, get out, and help them. That is blessing your enemy. That is loving your enemy, treating them like a human being. That is loving your enemy. But, Loving your enemy does not mean to allow them into your home to corrupt your wife, to corrupt your children, to corrupt your neighborhood, to corrupt your society, to corrupt your government, and to corrupt your earth that belongs to you. Take what is yours. Force the enemy out. Do not give him a blessing or a greeting. Verse 11, for the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil works. When you watch their video, when you read their website, when you read their books, when you welcome them into your home, you're participating. You are taking part. You are condoning. You are approving of their lives. On a level level, leavens the whole lot. And when they cleansed that temple, I guarantee you, they swept and mocked every corner of that temple. I guarantee you that they did not leave an inch or a crumb or a spot unscrubbed. Amen. Perfecting holiness. Fine. What leavening that you're still holding on to? What is your treasure of sin that you refuse to let go of and throw it out? Give it up. Abandon it. It might be worth $1,000 or two or $10,000 or a million dollars. I don't care. Get rid of it. It doesn't matter how much it cost it. It doesn't matter who gave it to you. It doesn't matter if your own parents, your dead parents, your great-granddaddy gave it to you. Get rid of it if it is a defilement. Your heart, your mind, your spirit, your soul, or your family, or your household, or the house in which you dwell. 
Your house should be clean. Your heart should be clean. Your mind, mind should be clean. We need to do some house cleaning. People need to do some house cleaning. Amen? This is a good week to do it. It's a good week to do some house cleaning. We've got Passover coming up here very soon in the month of uh, March or April. April. That ain't long. January, February, March. Less than four months. In less than four months, Passover and the days of unleavened bread will be here. And I am not taking communion with any person who is still holding on to treasures of sin. Throw them out. Amen? Praise the Lord. Thank you for listening. I do encourage everybody to cleanse your temple. Leave Babylon altogether. Cleanse your house. Get right with the Lord. Stop making excuses for sin and seize what is yours. Amen. There are a couple of Hanukkah movies or uh, cartoons and movies and stuff on the website. If you go to the Hanukkah article on the ministry at isawthelightministries.com, and you can uh, surely everybody knows where that article is. If you don't know where it's at, on the bottom of every page on the website, there's a box where you can search the website, and you can just type in the word Hanukkah in the search. On the bottom of the website, type in the word Hanukkah, and it gives you some search results. Now realize, please realize, that whenever you search for anything on the website, the first few results on the search result page, the first few results on the top of those search results are going to be uh, advertisements. They, I did not put them there. Those are not advertisements that I chose and picked out and put on there. Those are just advertisements that Google puts on there. So skip past the advertisements and then look for the article actually about Hanukkah that actually is on the website. Look for that article in the search results. Click on that. Find that article. And at the bottom of the Hanukkah article, there's two movies. One of them, I think, is around maybe 30-some minutes, 26 minutes, whatever it is. I believe that one is the cartoon. And then there's one that's probably like an hour and a half or two hours, whatever, that is not a cartoon, that is a movie. One of them is just a link to go watch it, and then the other one is actually on the website where you can watch it right there. So either way, I do encourage everyone to spend some time either today or tomorrow or throughout the week. This is eight days. We've got eight days. This is not just one day. Eight days of the Fiesta of Dedication. And so you've got two of those videos that you can watch by yourself or with your husband or wife or kids and uh, help you learn a little bit more and realize and comprehend a little bit more about the history of what occurred in the time of the Maccabees. But remember, Please remember that Hanukkah did not begin with the Maccabees. Moses and Solomon and all those people kept it as well, and Nehemiah kept it as well. 
and uh, so forth. And this week, think about separation, the, 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 the theme of purification, the, the theme of cleansing and dedication, and the theme of separation coming out from their midst, coming out and being separate and plain and touching not the unclean. That requires a separation to not touch the unclean. That requires a separation. Loving your enemies does not require you hang out and sin with them. Come out so that you will not participate in their sins. Amen. Be careful who you hang out with. Be careful who you choose as friends. Amen. The devil can shake your hands. The devil can hug you. The devil can kiss you. The devil can smile at you and be very friendly with you. Be careful who you call your brother, who you call your sister, who you hang out with and trust and fellowship. Be careful. We have a baptism coming up on the seventh day. Brother Mark in Florida, originally from Pennsylvania, he's going to be baptized this seventh day coming on January the 5th. We're going to broadcast it live on TalkShoe. You can call in over the telephone to listen, or you can come uh, and uh, join us on TalkShoe website. To listen live, we do welcome all of the congregation to come and participate and join in on the baptism. Listen and, and be brothers and sisters, one family and one congregation together to welcome a new brother into our family and into our kingdom and into the power of Christ. Amen. Brother Mark will be joining us that day into the congregation. And that will be just on audio. There, won't, there will not be any video involved on that. Uh, again, uh, my wife is right next to me right now doing sign language, and we are recording this on video. Uh, after we are finished with this, uh, uh, I will probably begin the process of uh, uh, examining the video and uploading it onto the website, and then anybody that wants to, whether you're deaf or not, can go and watch the video sometime later today or this evening or tonight. Uh, I may run into some technical difficulties. I don't know. I don't think it's going to be too hard, and I, I should hopefully, hopefully, God willing, have it on the website in one hour from now. Hopefully, God willing, it'll be on the website one hour from now. And if not, wait another hour or two and check it again. And of course, all you got to do is go to the website, I saw the lightministries.com, and go to the page where it talks about services, how to listen, how to watch, how to listen to services. It's on that page or will be on that page. I will keep it uh, updated every week. I will replace, replace that file every week with the most recent file. When I take one video off, 
and replace it with a brand new video for the new week. I would take the old video and I would put it into the, the video archives. And you remember that there is a page, or actually two pages on the website, that has all the videos of the ministry. Uh, and you don't even have to go to YouTube. Uh, there are two pages on the ministry website where it has all the same videos that are on YouTube. And uh, one page for all the prophecy videos and a different page for all the other videos that are not prophecy. So when I replace a sermon video, I would take the old video from the previous week and I would put it with all the other videos. And on the services page, I will only list only the most recent sermon each week uh, on the services page and, 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 and put the old video with the other video. So that's the way it'll work. You'll figure it out. Uh, pray for Seth. I sent his Bibles to Ethiopia, and they should have already received them. They should have already gotten their Bibles like three weeks ago or two or three weeks ago, and they are still not there. There's no tracking number. Uh, I was not able to afford, I could not afford to pay extra for a tracking number. So let's pray that they will show up. Uh, there's a lot of Muslims in Ethiopia. Uh, we need to do some spiritual warfare in prayer. I do count on every one of you to pull together with one mind, one spirit, one accord, and one congregation to do some spiritual battering, uh, to uh, fight the devil, to uh, rebuke the devil, to rebuke any Muslim or any spiritual principality that may be delaying or holding on to these Bibles. Release them in the name of Jesus, I declare. In the name of Jesus, these Bibles be released. Amen. And Brother Seth, Sister Annette will receive these Holy Bibles. Uh, we do have chat every Thursday night uh, at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. Every Thursday night we have chat. Uh, if anybody's been listening to the services, services, you listen every week and want to join us in chat, please contact me and ask me uh, instructions and directions about how to get into the chat room. We do welcome some more people to join us in the chat where we can fellowship and share prayer requests, fears and concerns, questions, testimonies, songs, uh, take turns singing and and share what goes, what's happening in your life, and share pictures of your Hanukkah celebration. So we would like to see more people join us in chat, but you got to reach out and seize it. You got to reach out, ask for it, take what's yours. Man, pray for the baptism. Pray for Mark. Pray for my wife. Pray for the ministry. Pray for the ministry finances. Pray for the next sermon. Pray for spiritual gifts, spiritual empowerment, boldness, courage, spiritual strength, perfection, maturity. 
and a greater measure of the Holy Ghost of Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise the Lord Jesus. And remember also that Hanukkah represents a promise of victory against our adversaries. A promise of victory against the son of perdition, against Syria. Victory in Jesus' name. It is promised us. Always remember that no matter how hard things get in the great tribulation, we're going to have the victory. Three and a half years might seem long, but it will also seem short. There will be great miracles. The church is going to rise to power. There will be great miracles. Great miracles. Many, many, many people will get saved. Many, many people will repent, learn the truth, get baptized. It's going to be a great time in the middle of great tribulation. And when we lose all of this houses and jobs and money and cars and highways and stuff, when we lose this Western, modern world, when we lose it, it will be such a wonderful deliverance. It would be so wonderful, so wonderful to be without electric, so wonderful to be without the bondage of a cell phone constantly tied to your hands. Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful deliverance it will be. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Look on the positives. Praise the Lord when you're in prison. Praise the Lord when you're in jail. Allow the earthquake to come, to break your bonds. Amen. Allow the earth to shake. Do not hold it back anymore. Do not pray for these things to not happen. Do not pray for war to not happen. Do not pray for earthquakes and hurricanes to not be severe. Do not pray for such things. Judgment must come. Stop holding it back, people. Amen. I love you very much, and thank you for joining us. I, I love the large gathering today. God does too. Amen. God bless you, everyone. Love you very much. All of this in Jesus' name. Amen.